As we begin, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the text for tonight is going to be very brief. I won't get there right away. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And actually, a lot of you could quote this uh, without even looking at it. The Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so before we get to that text and think about it, I want to take us through a few questions. Why Genesis? Uh, The Bible as a covenant book. Genesis as a book of beginnings. And then from that verse, the core doctrines of creation, the core orthodox doctrines of creation that uh, are necessary to be be believed. So why Genesis? Well, as you know, we finished up the pastoral epistles in early June on our Sunday evenings and through the summer, Ryan has been taking uh, various questions out of the uh, larger catechism and some of the teachings from that. And uh, I don't know if it was early August, some, some point during the summer, he and I began talking about what, what will we do next on Sunday evenings. And um, he had begun Luke, and we decided we'd continue that. We'll be alternating. I'm giving him a break for the next couple of weeks doing them, but we'll be alternating in Luke and also alternating in um, the evening. <clears throat> and... Uh, He left the room. (laughs) Well, I was going to tease him, but I won't do it. It's not, it won't make any, it won't be as much fun with him, with him, (laughs) him not being here. So at any rate, well, we were, so we, we thought, well, we're doing the New Testament in the morning. We'll do an Old Testament book in the evening. And, uh, he brought up a lot of good suggestions, uh, Psalms, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, one of the minor prophets. And I, Proposed, perhaps we could consider Genesis. It's a foundational book of the Bible, and it's been 40 years since I preached on it. So I preached on it in 1984, a little less than 40 years, I guess. At any rate, he was okay with that, uh, us to go through Genesis. uh, But since there's some controversy, in the early chapters of Genesis, he said, but you have to do those. So that's why you get me uh, to start the series. But I won't be really getting into the controversy tonight because I want to set the stage <clears throat> for the book in a couple different things that are, I think, are really very important for us to think about, not only for Genesis, but for uh, all of Scripture. And the, the first thing that I want to bring to your attention that's very important for us to appreciate is that the Bible is a covenantal book. And that's so significant for us to understand uh, much, all of the Bible really, is to appreciate why it was written, why it was given to us. The book, the, the Bible is not a book about the history of man. The Bible is not a book about the history of Israel. It's, it's not a book that's full of morals like an Aesop's fables that we will have ethical morals that we'll talk about, but that's not why the book was given to us. Uh, we must learn and understand that the reason we have the Bible is it's the 
revelation of God to us of himself as creator and redeemer. And if we don't see that every part of the Bible uh, revolves around that theme, we will miss the significance of different parts of the Bible, particularly a lot of the historical parts of the Bible. I wanted to mention a few books, a few authors uh, that have written well and helpfully on this. Edmund Clowney, uh, one-time president of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, has several books. He's One is The Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. That's a particular theme of him. He has another book, Preaching Christ in All of Scripture. So if you can get a hold of something by Edmund Clowney, it'd be very helpful. Uh, there's another author uh, by the name of Graham Goldsworthy. He has a very good book called According to Plan, The Unfolding Revelation of God in the Bible. And it takes you kind of through a, <clears throat> a survey of the Bible, seeing God's covenantal plan working its way through, extremely valuable and helpful. Of course, uh, the writings of Gerhardus Voss, uh, his biblical theology and other things are very helpful in appreciating the character of the Bible and how it unfolds for us. Two that I brought with me to, to show you and mention One is The Progress of Redemption. It's by Willem Van Gemmeren. He was a professor of mine at RTS some years ago. And it's a a very good, uh, in a sense, survey of the Bible, laying out uh, just what the title says, The Progress of Redemption, and seeing that is the theme of it. Uh, And it's not a challenging read. It's a little difficult to find, although you can find it. Uh, searching on Amazon. But the one I really want to highlight is <clears throat> there's a series of books called Promise and Deliverance by a Dutch pastor, S.G. de Graaf. And uh, he wrote, I think it was in the early part of the 1900s. And uh, he was kind of building on somebody else's work as well. Uh, but he, what he was doing, he was writing actually for Sunday school teachers on how they could explain the stories of the Bible in a covenantal way. And his introduction, which I'm going to give you a few of his thoughts from his introduction, is worth really the price of the book. <clears throat> it's really good. Uh, but this, this book, this series of books, you won't always agree with his take on the different Stories and how they can be seen in a covenantal way, but it'll get you thinking that way. And it's written in a very um, down-to-earth way to explain the um, the scriptures, the Bible, as uh, the unfolding of God's plan of redemption. And so that's a little harder to find uh, inexpensively. But don't don't pay the big bucks. Some people are. Um, I probably could sell that for a lot of money, which I'm not. But <clears throat> at any rate, it's 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 worthwhile looking at if you get a chance to get a volume and read it and reflect on it. And in his introduction, he suggests three thoughts about why we have the Bible, why God gave us the Bible. <clears throat> and the first is. It's God's revelation of himself. 
Everything we read in the Bible, every story, and when we read about the story of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Israel in the land, we're not primarily to see just those actions or the actions of men. What we are to see is God uh, revealing himself as he uh, unveils his, himself and his plan of creation and of redemption so that every story in the scripture reveals us something about the counsel of God and about the character of God. And it's very, very important. It helps us to appreciate why the Bible is given to us and how we can begin to put all of these things together uh, so that we don't look at Abraham uh, as a moral character. Well, he lied about his wife. You shouldn't do that. What do we learn when he lies about his wife? We learn, of course, his frailty, but we learn most importantly, God is keeping his promise. Abraham put himself and Sarah in a position where the covenant was about to be broken and they could do nothing about it. But God is the one who made that promise that in one year you will have a son from this woman. And we, we see the revelation of God. It's not a moral, don't, li- don't lie about your wife. <clears throat> it's the dynamic, powerful revelation of the character of God that we see. And it's woven throughout Scripture in that way. So we need to see the Bible from the beginning to the end as God's revelation about himself. <clears throat> Secondly, it's God revel- God's revelation of himself in the mediator. Because of sin, there is no fruition of any relationship with God apart from the mediator. And all the Old Testament and all the New Testament has a, uh, a particular focus on the person of Christ and the revelation of Christ. And let's go to the New Testament to read a few verses. Some of these you will be familiar with. <clears throat> the first is in John Chapter 5, verse 39. It was during this period of time that continuing to get opposition from the Pharisees. And in verse 39, Jesus says to them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is telling us the Old Testament, they search the scriptures because they thought by them they would have eternal life, which is true. They would. But those are the scriptures that testify about him. God is throughout scripture is revealing, revealing himself in the person of the mediator. Not every text is exactly the same, but the overall tenor of all the scriptures are about Christ. And then turn to Luke 24, <clears throat> two passages in Luke 24. The first is in verses 25 and 27. Jesus had been on 
the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And they're amazed that he doesn't know anything about what has happened. So we pick it up in verse 25 when they're, they can't make out what had happened that day. He says, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus took them to the Old Testament. They didn't understand what had happened that day. He took them to the Old Testament to explain it. And then the same chapter, verse 44, in the upper room with the disciples later that day, uh, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Uh, And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And it's interesting the way that he the way that it's written, everything that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the standard uh, designations of the Old Testament by the Jewish believers that divided the Old Testament. You know, we have the Pentateuch, the books of history, the books of poetry, the major prophets and the minor prophets. They had three parts. They had the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, then they had the, the prophets, which included what we know of as the books of history, as well as the books of the major and the minor prophets. They were all part of the same section. And then they had the third part. Here he refers to it as the Psalms. They would have titled it the writings. So if you ever look, out, look up a, a, or find a Jewish uh, version of the Old Testament, you will see those divisions of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying that in every part, in the law of Moses, in all the prophetical books, in all the writings, uh, there are scriptures in there that are about me and about my life. And so the Bible is given to us for a second reason, as God's revelation of himself in the mediator. And so as we read all these Old Testament stories, We need to see them in the light of that, how God is revealing himself to us in Christ. And then the third thing uh, that um, the graph mentions is it's the Bible is God's revelation of himself in his covenant with his people. And this, again, is a critically important thing. When we read the stories of the Old Testament, it's not just a bit of history about the Jews It's about God creating a church. It's God creating a covenant people. It begins with the covenant of creation with Adam and Eve in the garden even before the fall. And then certainly subsequently to the fall 
It's the covenant of grace that God reveals where he spends the rest of the time um, cultivating a people in covenant with him that would be his people forever. And as we read the scriptures, as we go through those tedious books of numbers and uh, Deuteronomy and some of the historical books and some of those genealogies, and we kind of, when if you read those at bedtime, you know that's going to put you out exactly <clears throat> for sure. But when we read through all those things, as well as all the exciting stories, the sun standing still for Joshua and his conquest of the land, when we're looking at all those events and all those stories, what we need to be seeing is not the excitement or the tedium, we need to be seeing that it's God building and creating and saving a covenant people to be his own. And there's a unity in the Bible in all of these things. There's unity in the Bible of God's plan of redemption from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. And just as a, as a taste of that, turn to Genesis 17, 7. In the covenant made with Abraham, God makes a statement in verse 7. He says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your, your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you will be your God and you will be my people. It's not stated in those exact terms, terms prior to this, but that's what God was beginning to do, uh, particularly after the fall uh, in the book of Genesis, which we'll read and understand. So that's the beginning. Well, now let's go to the end. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 Revelation 21, verse 3. And actually, to get the full beauty of it all, let's start at verse 1. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So from the beginning to the end, all and everything in between is fulfilling that purpose that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And as you read through your Bibles and you read in the Old Testament, you will see that phrase repeated a number of times. I don't have the number of how many, but a number of times. And you'll see that thread woven throughout the whole book, whole book of the Bible. And so it's very important for us to appreciate. We can't really probably appreciate creation if we don't understand the uh, the whole pick the whole book because creation is a piece of that 
But it's not all that there is. It's the beginning that all the rest is part of it. And you and I won't really understand all these varied elements if we don't keep the, the big picture uh, in view, in our minds. Um, the, the second thing, after why Genesis, and the second thing was looking at the Bible as a covenant book, Uh, The third thing I wanted to just go through with you for a minute is uh, Genesis is a wonderful book for us to read through and understand and think about because it's a book of beginnings. It's a foundational book. It lays the groundwork for everything uh, that comes to pass later on. And, And these beginnings, these foundations are really helpful for us in in seeing where things are going to be heading. So it's a book of beginnings. Obviously, it's the beginning of the world. Uh, It's the beginning of the covenant in its initial form with Adam and Eve in the garden prior to their sinning against God. Obviously, it's the beginning of sin uh, corrupting the world. Uh, It's the beginning of the covenant of grace, which was announced in Genesis 3.15, the plan of God to rescue his people uh, from the bondage of sin. And uh, it's the beginning of the church. Uh, the covenant people of God, <clears throat> which when we come back to Genesis 4, I'll be uh, hopefully helpful, uh, helping you understand that's where the church began. It didn't begin in the New Testament. The church began there. The Old Testament church is Israel. The New Testament church is international. But that's where it began. It's the beginning of the church, God's covenant people. And so many of the themes of scripture grow out of these things. But one other organizing principle of uh, Genesis that uh, many people refer to this. So I'm going to take a few moments to take you through it. There's a repeated phrase <clears throat> the the word generations. And uh, I think the point of seeing this thread, this theme, is Genesis as a foundational book is helping us to try to understand the uh, various lineages and the various divisions of families and the various progress that's made uh, throughout the book and the development <clears throat> in God's plan Uh, particularly for his people. So um, if you will, let me take you through these things. It's uh, the first is in Genesis two, verse four. And the word generations is the, the, the Hebrew word toledot, which that's not significant. You don't have to go memorize that, but that's if, uh, if you're to do a study, how you might not, see generations everywhere, but you'll see that word everywhere. But here we have the first one, Genesis 2, 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So the first category is the generations of the heavens and the earth in those, in that second chapter of God's creating uh, the next is Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam 
When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So then we have this category of the generations of Adam. Then in chapter 6, verse 9, uh, we have... We have Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So here we have the next category of the generations of Noah. Then in chapter 10, there's the repetition of generations twice, but it all has to do with the sons of Noah. So in chapter 10, verse 1, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, So here are the category of the sons. If you look down at verse 32, it's not a new category. It's the same. It says in 1032, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their generations. So we have uh, this next category, this next order, this next part of the outline. Uh, Then we turn to the next chapter, Genesis 11, verse 10. One of the sons of Noah is uh, specified. These are the generations of Shem. And uh, when we try to think about this, why was he set apart as opposed to the other sons of of, um, Noah? It's because Shem was the lineage that the Messiah would come. And so you begin to see, we go from all creation... Adam, uh, you go down to Noah, comfort, his name means comfort. <clears throat> uh, we go down to the sons of Noah and one specific son. So we're, we're tracing the lineage of the Messiah as we're going through this as well. <clears throat> In Genesis eleven twenty seven. now these are the generations of Terah. Uh, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. So we have Terah, the father of Abraham. Then we don't have that specified about Abram, but in verse 25, here's kind of a contrast to what we've been talking about. In Genesis 25, verse 12, Genesis 25, verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. So here we don't have the line of the Messiah, but it kind of harkens back to the promise in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be a line of the serpent and a line of the woman, of the Messiah. So here, highlighting the line of the serpent. In Genesis 25.19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac. So we have Isaac, who is the promised son. There's continued the line of of, uh, the Messiah. And then in chapter 36 and 37, we have the contrast brought back. In Genesis 36, verse 1, these are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Even though he was a child of Abraham, like Ishmael, the line of the promise is not going to be through him. It's repeated in verse 9. It's the same category. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites.
And then in, in chapter 37, verse 2, Genesis 37, verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. And then it's going to go talk about Joseph, but it's the, the line of promise coming through Jacob. So we see some contrast in here, but we see the organization of the book seems to be in part, not completely, but in part focused on these lineages to see the development of God's plan of redemption and the work that he's accomplishing uh, through these various lines along the way. So we have Genesis as the book of beginnings. It gives us the foundational elements to, to help our perspective really of all the rest of scripture and helps tie down some of these uh, truths about God's revelation of himself, God's revelation of himself in his mediator, God's revelation of himself in his development of a covenant people. Now, um, I'm not really going to be able to develop this third thing, so we'll come back to it next week, which will lay the groundwork for some of the conflict. But I'm going to lay it down for you at least a little bit tonight before we end. What are the core orthodox doctrines of creation that anyone uh, who claims to be orthodox must believe? Well, Genesis 1-1 gives those to us in a very succinct, helpful way. Uh, So in the beginning, the beginning of this world, uh, as I'll mention when we come back to it, it's likely the angels have already been created uh, because as we read in Job, they were there celebrating the creation with God. Uh, But the creation of this world in which we live, the heavens and the earth, the last phrase reiterates that, uh, was there in the beginning, in the beginning of that aspect of, of creation. Uh, now, one thing that's not in this verse, but I'll mention it and we'll come back to it. Uh, the beginning, uh, the creation out of nothing, ex nihilo. In other words, there was nothing there. Some ways, some translate the first verse, gives the idea that there, were, there was maybe substance there beforehand, but there was nothing there. There was no material that God had to take in hand to create from. He he created out of nothing uh, what what was made. So in the beginning, God. uh, That's extremely important. Nothing was there, but God was there. A who was there, not a what. There wasn't a what there. There's a who there. God was there. And it reveals there's several significant things about God's character that are revealed in thinking about him as um, present in that, at that point. So in the beginning, God, so it, it's a, the beginning, God, he created, uh, God made the heavens and the earth. In that last phrase, he, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have Uh, You could say those four elements, beginning, God, he created, and the heavens and the earth. And heavens and the earth can kind of go along with what happened in the beginning. But those four things are core elements to the orthodox 
view of creation that everyone who claims to be orthodox must believe. We may end up having some disagreements, but those four things have to be affirmed if someone uh, is going to say that they are orthodox. And they're very important, and they're things that we'll reflect on in a little more detail next time. So as we embark on this study of Genesis, keep in mind at least the two things we covered tonight, that the Bible is a covenant book. Creation fits within uh, that covenant plan of God. He created to put men in covenant, men and women in covenant with him. So it's a covenant and it's telling that story. Creation is part of that. It's not the end of it, it's the beginning of that. And then remember that Genesis is the book of beginnings. It helps to lay the foundations of many of the truths that we'll see filled out as we go through scripture. It's kind of like planting a seed. If you plant a seed, everything that belongs to that plant is in that seed. You just don't see it yet. It's going to develop. And, but you plant the seed and the seed takes root and it grows and develops. But everything that you see in the development of that plant or that tree was in that seed from the very beginning. And Genesis is helpful for us in thinking about that. It plants the seeds of these truths that then are unfolded and filled out and lived out in the generations to come. So keep those two things in mind as we get next time into some of the content of uh, the book of Genesis itself. Uh, Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the glorious story that it tells us about you and your plan of redemption, your plan of creation and then of redemption, the revelation of yourself and of your, both in, in how you reveal yourself and in your son and in the covenant plan you have for your people. May we see those things as helpful to us in keeping an order in all that um, you have laid out before us in this book. And may it help us in our understanding, really, of all of Scripture. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would uh, reveal these things to us and help us to learn these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.